The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here, and it is great to be with you. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you're here. And uh, if you are joining us, if you're new with us, you're joining us in the midst of a sermon series during the summer where we are looking at uh, various psalms. And so if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Psalm 126, Psalm 126. Um, now, uh, before we go, um, Matt, can you turn me down a little bit? I feel like I'm getting some echo. It might just be me, but... Um, all right. I think I'm, am I, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Okay. That wasn't very confident, so I wasn't sure. Um, wonderful. Thanks, Matt. Um, so if you were here with us a number of weeks ago, then maybe you remember me saying that uh, one of the beautiful things about the Psalms is how they express uh, the very emotions that we often feel. That oftentimes when we are confronted by things in this world, when we experience things in our lives, the different things that we feel in our hearts or the different things that we think in our minds, that, that oftentimes we don't have words to express, to adequately express what we are experiencing or feeling. And yet the Psalms wonderfully and beautifully often give us those words. They give us the words to say in those times of need and in those times of rejoicing. This is what the Psalms do. They help to express our experience while also reorienting our hearts and our minds around what is true, what is good, what is beautiful, what we know about God and how we are to respond to him. And Psalm 126 is no different. Psalm 126 is a psalm of ascent. We've already seen two other psalms of ascent this summer, right? There are 15 of them. And these psalms of ascent are psalms, they are songs that God's people would have sung as they were going up to Jerusalem, as they were going to the festival, to the feast, as they were going to celebrate the Lord. They would sing these psalms to one another and tell one another and remind one another of the good things that the Lord has done. That's how they functioned in the life of Israel. That's how they functioned then, but that's also how they function now. And we're not going up to Jerusalem, we're not going to a festival or a feast. But these psalms function in our lives as a way of reminding us as well of what God has done, of his goodness and his grace. And so with that in mind, let's read Psalm 126. A song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would remind us of your truth now. 
that you would remind us of all that you have done so that our mouths would be filled with shouts of joy and we would celebrate your grace, your goodness, your faithfulness to us. So we ask that you would meet with us and by your spirit you would lead us. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Remember, remember. Remember, remember. Those are words that we will often hear in our world. Right, we have phrases that tell us to remember things, right? Like, remember the Alamo, <laughs> and we will not forget. Or remember, remember the 5th of November, right? That's a little nod to our British friends, right? Remember, remember, we're told to remember things of the past, things that happened throughout history. But it's not just with phrases that we're called to remember, it's with things like monuments, right? We construct and build monuments to remember the past, great leaders like Washington and Lincoln and others. We have memorials that we set aside, that we've designed and created, and we go visit to remind us to remember the battles that were fought and the sacrifices that were made. Memorials to Vietnam, to World War II, to D-Day. And we have days that are set apart. Right, days that are set apart when we remember what has happened in our past. Days like Memorial Day and Veterans Day and MLK Day, where we remember a particular person or a particular event, something in our past, we remember. These things, these phrases, these monuments and memorials, these days, they're reminding us, they're remembering things, significant moments that have shaped our world, our nation, our lives. We do this on a national sta stage, but we also do this on a smaller stage. We remember, right? Like in the life of our church, we have Celebration Sunday. Every, every fall, we have a Sunday where we, we have a picnic and we enjoy time together and we're celebrating, we're remembering the founding of our church. We do this in our families. We remember anniversaries and birthdays, and we, we sit the kids around, and we tell them of how mom and dad first met, and we remind one another of our wedding and of great events within the life of our family. We remember. This is what we do. We remember the things about our lives, the things that have made us who we are. But for all the things that we remember, for all the things that we recount, for all the things that we remind one another of, the most important is that we remember the Lord. We remember the Lord and what he has done, and that's what this psalm is helping us to do. It's helping us to remember the past. That's what the first three verses are instructing us. They're pointing us back to a time in the life of Israel. Look at verse 1. And the psalmist says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, now the psalmist is invoking, he's remembering a time in the past in Israel's history, but he doesn't tell us exactly when, right? And there are many things that he could be thinking of, many things that could be on his mind, many occasions when the Lord restored Israel, like, like when he took them out of Egypt and he rescued them from slavery and bondage. That could be what he remembers, or it could be when God led his people through the wilderness wanderings and into the promised land, how God protected and provided and battled on behalf of his people. Maybe that's what he remembers. Or a little later in Israel's history, maybe he's remembering the return from exile, 
How God's people had been taken away into a foreign land by a foreign ruler as punishment for their disobedience, but how God remembered them. How he had not forgotten them, but he had rescued and delivered them and returned them to their place. The psalmist remembers. He doesn't give us a specific occasion, maybe because there are so many. I just named three, but we know that there are countless other times in which the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. You see, the point here is that not to remember the specific occasion, not to try and drill down and know exactly when it is that the psalmist is remembering what it is that he is thinking of, but the point is that God restored them. That that was part of their past, that as the people were in decline, as they were damaged, as they were hurt, the Lord remembered them and restored them. The psalmist recounts, remember Lord, remembering the Lord, how he restored the fortunes of Zion, and he says, we were like those who dream. Love that phrase. Like those who dream. They'd received such mercy, such grace from God that they can hardly believe it to be true. It's like us saying, like, pinch me, I'm dreaming, right? Those occasions in our lives, those times that are so good, so beautiful that they don't seem to be real, right? That they only live in our dreams and to experience them now, it, it can't be real. And yet God's mercy his restoring of his people, it's not a dream. It's better than a dream. It, it's real. It's real. And that's what the psalmist remembers. He remembers how God did something greater than their wildest dreams. How he rescued them and restored them. And how God did this not just for the Old Testament people. We don't just remember what he did back then, but we remember that he did this for us. Right? He took those who were dead in our sins. The Bible says we were lifeless and he gave us life. That he took those without hope and he gave us hope. That he took those who were rebelling against him and made us his people. He took those who were spiritually orphaned and adopted us into his family. God did this through his son. He did what our dreams could have never dreamt of. He was merciful and gracious faithful and good. God has restored us, and that is better than our wildest dreams. This is what we remember. For all the things that we could remember in our past, in our history, this is the most prominent thing that we remember, that God has restored us. We remember what he has done, and we remember the response that this elicits, that this creates. Look at verse 2. The psalmist says, you've restored the fortunes of Zion. It was better than our dreams. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. They sang and they celebrated. Do you remember what they did after the, the exodus? For hundreds of years, God's people had been in bondage and slavery. They had called out to God, and God had heard them. He had not forgotten them. He remembered them. And what did he do? He delivered them and rescued them. And within just moments after God had defeated Pharaoh's army and destroyed them, right? Maybe the sound of the screams was still ringing in the people's ears. What did they do? 
they sang. And they rejoiced and they celebrated, right? Moses and his sister Miriam, they led the people in singing, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And the song goes on. They continue to sing and to celebrate all that God has done. You see, that's what we see throughout Scripture, isn't it? When God does something amazing, when he shows up and restores his people, the right response is to sing, to rejoice with shouts of joy, to have praise on the tongues of his people. And it's not just Israel that does this. It's not just Israel who acknowledges the greatness of God, but the nations do as well. Did you see the end of verse 2? Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The they of verse 2 is the people of the nations. And so what the psalmist is telling us is that the nations, the, the world around Israel, they witness the great acts of God and they can't help but acknowledge that it was the Lord who did it. You see, these acts of restoration, this work of grace and mercy, it is so grace, great that it could only be the Lord. And so they say the Lord has done great things for them. God's deeds, his restoring work is testimony to the nations of his greatness. A greatness observed even by the world around Israel. The nations and Israel acknowledge God's goodness and so too do we. For the psalmist says, not just do do the nations say the Lord has done great things for them, but the Lord has done great things for us. Do you see how it changes? The nation said the Lord did great things for them, but Israel, when they remember what God has done, when they remember his restoration, his work of redeeming, they say the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. I love this. I love this because what, what the psalmist is showing us is that when we remember what God has done, it stirs in us not not a reserved or austere or somber response, but celebration and singing and rejoicing. That's what remembering what God has done should do. It, it, it's as though they can't help but sing. They have to rejoice and celebrate. Now, the danger with remembering The danger with thinking about the past is that we can look to the past with with kind of a a nostalgia. A nostalgia, a longing to return to a scene that's that's more like a Norman Rockwell painting than reality. Right? Like that's what we do. We have revisionist history, right? We we remember the good and the beautiful, and, and that is what we long for, and we cling to it, and we can treat the past as simply these glory days that have gone by. You remember that song by Bruce Springsteen, Glory Days? Right? Where, where Springsteen, he's coming in contact with various people from his past, right? A, a former athlete and a, a teenage beauty and his father who used to work in the factory. And as he comes across these people, he has conversations with them. 
And in the midst of these conversations, they laugh and they cry. And they think about glory days. How they'll pass you by glory days in the wink of a young girl's eye. Glory days. Glory days. And that's the danger of remembering the past is that we associate the past with glory days, glory days that won't be repeated today or tomorrow. And if we could only get back to those days, if we could only get back to those days when it seemed like life was a little simpler and when relationships seemed a lot easier and when things just seemed better. See, we romanticize the past We romanticize the past, and we remember these days, and we long to return to them, but but that's not what biblical remembering should do. You see, in Ecclesiastes, the the pastor there, he says in chapter 7, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. No, it's foolishness to long for glory days in the past. That's not why we remember so that we would return to some revisionist understanding of our history, some longing for seemingly better days that really, when we're honest, weren't that much better. No, you see, we remember not so that we return to a nostalgic longing, but instead we remember because in remembering the past, it orients our requests for today. And that's what we see with this psalm. In the first three verses, the psalmist remembers the past, and in the last three verses, the second half of our psalm, he makes a request. Look at verses 4 through 6. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So you hear how he begins. He begins how he began verse 1, right? Restore our fortunes. Now, just as before, we don't know the past deliverance that he was speaking of. We don't know his present difficulty either, right? But, but the text implies that there is a present difficulty. The, the only reason you need restoration is if difficulty has arisen. That there are in the midst of an occasion when restoration is required, And that's not hard for us to imagine, is it? A time in the life of God's people, a time in our lives when we would need the Lord to intervene, to restore, to rescue. It's not hard to imagine that even those who experience God's grace, know his goodness, have seen his glory, that we will still feel times of dryness, of decline, of difficulty. I mean, the, the image that the psalmist uses, that of the Negev. Now, the Negev was a part of southern Israel that was a dry and arid, almost desert-like area of Israel. And that's what we sometimes feel like, don't we? I mean, I know I do. In times of sorrow and sadness, in times of difficulty and struggle, doesn't it feel like our hearts and our minds are dry and weary like an arid land. I mean, that image resonates with me. Maybe it does with you. That that's how we feel when a diagnosis is declared, uh, when struggle arises. 
when our minds are clouded with fear and our hearts are filled with worry. Doesn't it feel like we're in a dry land? That we are alone in the midst of a desert? Maybe that's how you're feeling this morning. Maybe you're bringing sadness and sorrow into this place. Maybe you're bringing weight upon your shoulder that you cannot bear. bear. Or maybe the exact opposite is how you're feeling this morning, but, but you've felt this before. That this morning, maybe you're filled with joy and celebration and expectation and hope, but, but you've felt that dryness, that weariness in the past, and, and you will certainly feel it again in the future. And so what comes off of our lips is what comes off of the psalmist's lips. Restore our fortunes, O God. Restore us. It's the same language that he used before. In essence, what the psalmist is doing is he's saying, God, you restored us in the past. Restore us again. You see, the psalmist is using his remembrance of God's faithfulness in the past as a foundation for his present request. The writers Dan Allender and Tremper Longman in their book, Cry of the Soul, They write this, they say, memory is a creative borrowing of the past as a template of what we hope for the present. To remember the past is to reshape the present with desire and hope. To remember the past is to reshape the present with desire and hope. And that's what the psalmist is encouraging us to do. To remember the past, to give us hope and to orient our request for today. God, you have been faithful Right? You were faithful to, to Israel when they were in Egypt. You remembered them and heard their cries and you delivered them. You were faithful when you took them into the wilderness and brought them into the land. You were faithful when they were in exile and you restored them. You were faithful to us in that you delivered us from our sin. God, you have been faithful before. And so we ask, be faithful again. God, you have restored us in the past. And so we ask, restore us again. We allow the past to reshape our present with hope and with desire and expectation. That in the midst of difficulty, we look to him. We cry out to him for restoration. Calvin put it this way. He said the very best method in order to obtain relief in trouble when we are about to faint under it is to call to mind the former loving kindness of the Lord. And that's what the psalmist does. Restore us, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Restore us like rains in the desert. You know, a few years ago, Kat and I were in San Antonio. One of my best friends and his wife lived there, and and we went to visit them. And as we, were, we went and spent time with them, we, we got some babysitters and we left the kids in San Antonio. And the four of us, we headed out to this, this ranch outside of San Antonio. We went out into the hill country of Texas. And in this time of season that we were there, it, it was the dry season. It hadn't rained for days and weeks, actually. And if you've ever been to Texas in the dry season, it, it's brown and and. Well, very, very dry, (laughs) and very, very hot, and things were wilting. Yet one night while we were there, it rained. It didn't rain for days, it didn't rain for weeks, it just rained for an hour or two. And when we awoke in the morning, it, it was like magic. 
It was like magic. The, there were flowers starting to open and bloom. Right on the, on the cacti, there, there were flowers there that weren't there just hours before. There was color filling the hill country that, that wasn't there before. There were streams in the desert. And that's what's it, what it's like when God restores his people. It's like streams in the desert. The desert is there. It absolutely is. The psalmist doesn't deny it. It's real, but, but we're not alone in the midst of it. God is there with us. Sadness and sorrow, they are real, but they are not the totality of who we are because it's in sorrow and sadness that we remember who God is, that he once restored us, and we ask him to restore us again. Eugene Peterson put it this way. He said, one of the most interesting and remarkable things that Christian learn, Christians learn is that laughter does not exclude weeping. Christian joy is not an escape from sorrow, but pain and hardship still come. But they are unable to drive out the happiness of the redeemed. They are real, but they are not more powerful than the happiness of the redeemed. Listen to what the psalmist said. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The tears of sorrow will give way to smiles of celebration. The sounds of weeping will be replaced with shouts of joy. And why? Because God has restored us. Because God has remembered his people. The psalmist isn't ignoring or minimizing our sorrow. He's helping us in the midst of it to turn to the Lord. And we ask, Lord, restore us again. You see, friends, when we remember what God has done, how through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, he has redeemed and restored us. Our remembering of the past becomes the foundation for our present. And so we say, restore us, O God. Like you did before, restore us so that our mouths would be filled with joy. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Thank you that you do remember your people. That you do not forget us. That you do not forsake us. But that you are with us. That you have not left us to ourselves, but you have restored us. And so we ask that you would turn our weeping to joy, our sadness to celebration. And that you would turn our, mouth, our eyes towards you and fill our mouths with praise because of who you are and what you have done. You have restored us in the past. Restore us again. And we pray all this in Christ's name and God's people said together, Amen.